0: Just the other day, I was leading an offset with a team of people, and we were talking in advance about one of the outcomes that they were looking for. And they kept saying, "We want to build trust. We want to build trust." Mm-hmm. And I said to them, "Stop aiming at a building trust. Start mm-hmm. aiming at telling the truth, right?" Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what. And we're both smiling and laughing because people people will stand up and not tell each other tr- the truth, and then call. Patty or Jerry, and say, We've got a trust problem in the organization.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. We've been so fortunate to have some amazing individuals on the Reboot Podcast over the first 100 episodes. And starting about a year ago, we decided it would make sense to resurface some relevant and powerful conversations that perhaps many of you have missed, and for others to give you an opportunity to re-listen and to find some new lessons. And we're doing that again here today with Patty McCord, who served as the chief talent officer of Netflix, and is an amazing individual who has so much to share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt. Perhaps you've had a moment like this. You're sitting in a conversation, meeting, phone call, one-on-one, whatever it might be. And there's a thought that rises up within you. and Your body instantly reacts. Sweaty palms, tingling feet, faces flushed, your heart races, your mouth moves. Almost as if it's trying to force the thought from your body, but it doesn't come. Something else rises up in you. A fear, doubt, or a convincing reason why you shouldn't speak. The energy within you subsides and the conversation moves past the moment. But the moment in the energy lingers throughout the day, haunts you, perhaps even into the night. What if you had said it? Why didn't you? How could you not? I'm the kind of guy who lets more of those moments pass me by than I own them. I've had many sleepless nights tossing and turning, replaying what I couldn't bring myself to say or do. And it wasn't until I listened to this conversation that we're sharing with you all today that I realized there was a choice I was making in each of those moments. There was a choice much bigger than I previously thought. It wasn't just playing it safe or protecting someone else's feelings or, you know, not making a big deal out of something that didn't need to be a big deal. I was relinquishing the power and the energy that is within me. That tingling, the sweaty palms, the blood rushing to my face, my heart racing. That is my power coming to the surface. And there is a choice in that moment. The choice that I always have, do I take it or relinquish it? Our guest today is a legend, and not just because she was capable of teasing and mocking Jerry as well as me in the first 15 minutes of meeting him, though that does help. But she served as Netflix's chief talent officer for 14 years and is the author of the infamous Culture Deck, one I know you have seen because it's been viewed nearly 15 million times. Patty McCord is the real deal. I first met Patty while accompanying Jerry to a speaking event at South by Southwest. And while I was grabbing a quick breakfast at the hotel, I heard a rumble of laughter across the restaurant. And when I looked, I saw it was Jerry and Patty in their very first meeting, laughing and swapping stories like lifelong friends, two peas in a pod. I was instantly impressed with Patty's knowledge, her amazing stories, her uncanny of an understanding of people and the people dynamics within organizations, and of course, her humor. So we're thrilled to bring you today this conversation between Jerry and Patty, where they explore the importance of radical honesty in the workplace, swap some amazing stories, and Patty reminds us all of the power that lies within us. 50% of the choice is always yours. Will you take it? So enjoy this conversation with Patty McCord and Jerry Colonna be sure to check out Patty's new book, Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility, which we'll link to in the show notes. Being the CEO of a startup is hard. It can be lonely with long hours and never-ending, unforgiving to-do lists. When do you take time to step back and take a good, hard look at how things are going? When do you take time to step back take a good hard look at how you are showing up as a leader. Are you ready for a transformational weekend to change how you experience leadership? This April 25th through 28th, reboot and refresh what it means to be a CEO. Over this long weekend, the Reboot team will help you establish greater awareness of your personal leadership habits by creating a customized strategy for being the leader you want to be, the leader you are capable of being all while building a trusted network of peers you can rely on. Applications are open through March 15th. So go to reboot.io slash April Bootcamp to apply and secure your spot.
0: Hey, Patty, how are you? I I am super excited about seeing you again. It's just like, uh, it's amazing to see you. How are you, Patty?
2: I'm great, Jerry Colon. It's great to see
0: you again, too. Um Before we get started, why don't you just take a moment and introduce yourself? Tell us who you are.
2: I'm Patty McCord. I'm the author of a book coming out in January Power Yes, yes, yes. Um, we're
0: very excited
2: and and i'm I'm kind of a rebel. I've spent my whole career in human resources going from being a good girl to being just absolutely tired of everything we do. That doesn't matter anymore. So I'm out to conquer the world now and talk about a new way of working. That's who I am
0: right now. I love that introduction. And I will I will uh, note that the new book is called Powerful. And we're going to be talking about some of the concepts in that. And, and it's due out January 8th. And um, I got to tell you, and I, I said this before we started recording, but I'll say it again. I really love the book. I really, really love the book. Uh, partially I loved it because... Um, my dear friend, Patty, is so evident in the book, and partially because you're funny as shit, and you tell the truth, and I'm a huge admirer of people who um, kind of cut through bullshit and tell the truth. So I'm super so excited we're peas in a pod, Jerry. We are peas in a pod. That's it. That's it. Peas in so, a
2: podcast.
0: Peas in a podcast. We like that. Yeah, that's very good. So let's, let's have some fun. You know, there's a couple concepts that um, really struck me uh, in the book. And, um, you know, some of them remind me of some of the things that, that uh, I hold dear. Um, one is this notion of radical honesty. And uh, I'll just give you a little context. One of the things that we do a lot at Reboot, and I use this phrase, radical self-inquiry, all the time. And the notion of radical self-inquiry, in a sense, reminded me a little bit of your radical honesty in this, in, in, in this way. I think of it as a way to cut through our self-delusional bullshit. You know, the bullshit that tells us we ought to have the answers. That we have the answers. That we that we are, and a little exercise that I will do at the start of a talk, especially to first-time CEOs, will be something like, "Well, who here in the room is brave enough to that they have no fucking clues to what to do?" Mm-hmm. Right, and it usually cracks them up. So, tell me what you mean by radical honesty. What does it mean?
2: It's. It's a way of talking to each other in, a, in somewhat a selfless way. Right. So when I talk about radical honesty in the context of work in the company, I mean that if you're speaking about something you disagree with on the basis of making the company better, making a customer happy, you know, uh, achieving something that you want to achieve, and that's your end game, then you can be really truthful. And the thing about being really truthful is, And you know this. I mean, it sets up. If I tell you I think you're full of shit and I think you're wrong and I have a reason why and I have a reason for telling you that and I turn out to be right, then you trust me just a little bit more. And Mm. when teams of people really trust each other, they just get more stuff done because it moves faster. So part of the reason I started doing it was just for efficiency. It was just I didn't have time to... You know you know this, especially in a startup when things are so chaotic and everybody's crazy and everybody's running a million ways at once, when things get political, it just slows you down. And so the idea of practicing honesty in the moment just was an efficiency matter at the beginning. And then when it became like a way of being, I could see how teams formed faster, how they trusted each other more quickly, uh, how they got more done because they just got through the bullshit. You know, I'm having
0: a, a peas in a pod moment here because just the other day I was leading an offset with a team of people and we were talking in advance about one of the outcomes that they were looking for and they kept saying, we want to build trust, we want to build trust. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, stop aiming at a building trust. Start mm-hmm. aiming at telling the truth, right? And, 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 that's what, and we're both smiling and laughing because people... People will stand up and not tell each other tr- the truth and then call Patty or Jerry and say, We've got a trust problem in the organization. <laughs> and they don't see and we're because they don't see this connection. You know,
2: I don't know where it came from. Like sometimes I think it's my, you know, uh, hard Scrabble Texas girl background that girl, you just tell the truth, honey. Bless your heart. You can always throw a bless your heart in. Uh, you know you're full of shit bless your heart Uh, and then uh, or or did it come from all those years i spent with engineers who don't see nuance they they don't you know that's good Mm -hmm. or bad it's right or wrong it's black or white it's zero or one right Mm -hmm. so whenever they hear anything that's nuanced or subtle they think it's bullshit because it's not you know it's not digital in that way I just think that, and the other thing is, people we're we're conditioned to be nice, mm-hmm. and that we have to tell the truth in a nice way. And mm-hmm. our conditioning has made that niceness um, obliterate the truth.
0: Well, it it, it leads to I, you know, uh, and I know you know this phrase, the shit sandwich. Right? Yeah, that's
2: right. That's right. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're um, really wonderful I, guy. You sure you fucked up, but you won't ever do it again.
0: Right. Right. And, 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 you know, and, and on the receiving end of the shit sandwich, if you're at all emotionally honest, you walk away going, well, that was fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? right. can, can I trust anything that this person says to me going forward? Um, and I think you, I think you hit upon a really important point. There's a socialization that starts to occur with us as children, I think, which is if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. Well, how right. about the truth?
2: Yeah. You know, and I think what I've realized over time is that it's a, it's a learned, it's a skill that you learn over time and it's a skill that we can teach. I mean, I think you do it and I think I do it, which is I can say hard things to you with kindness and respect and you keep your dignity and I'm not cruel and those are not have nothing to do with being nice. Right, the nice
0: right. Sandwich, and, and, and I, I think you're right because what we often see is in opposition to the shit sandwich patina is mm-hmm. actually an overly aggressive yes. maneuver. Right. So I'm going to say to you that I disagree with you by trying to annihilate you and decimate you. Yes. Yeah. And by winning that way. Say yeah.
2: that <laughs> I have a I have a read story. Um, Reed is the CEO of Netflix, and we worked together for years and years. And um, over time, you know, we knew each other really well. And I remember conversations where I would say to him, oh, we're about to go into debate mode. Okay, let me describe to you what debate mode means. Um, You are going to now come up with as many facts and figures as you can to disavow my argument, and so when we go into debate mode you win i lose so let's concede the fight right now right you <laughs> <will win. laughs> because when we go there you know you you are going to outmaneuver me because you're better at this than me so let me concede right now that whenever this conversation ends you will be factually correct and you'll also be wrong mm-hmm and there's you know and that nuance of because you deliver facts does not mean you deliver truth as the other person sees it and that 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 ability to put yourself in the receiving end of the message's shoes if that makes sense mm. that's that's the skill mm. right that's the skill of radical honesty is being able to say the truth so that the other person hears it Because your point, you know, so shouting out anger, even if it's truthful, doesn't achieve your end game, which is for the other person to understand what's happening here, right? For the other person to be able to act on your honest feedback. And you know, the other thing that's weird about this kind of stuff is we always go to the negative, Right. Mm -hmm. We always say it it, like the word feedback has become the, you know, the word that means telling you shit you don't want to hear in a nice way. Right. That's Mm -hmm. feedback. And we forget that the most effective feedback for us as humans is the ones. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's much easier to start practicing radical honesty when you start with saying, hey, it's great to see you again. I really love working with you. This thing you did was amazing. Right. Yeah. And that builds trust too. Right. So there's that, that tension. I mean, I'd love to have that not shit sandwich, whatever it is, maybe some macaron. Right. It's yeah. like, <laughs> you're, you're amazing. We, we've got to work on some stuff to make it better because then we'll be amazing together. I don't, I don't Yeah. Know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It I do. Whenever, whenever I get in these conversations, I find myself defending, telling people hurtful things, and that's not what I mean at all. I just mean telling people truthful things, good, good truthful things, and
0: bad truthful things. Truth. I, I, I think I think you're spot on, and and I'm going to bring your attention to a truthful uh, thing that you know you tell an anecdote in the in the book that I think a lot of folks still have trouble with, especially first-time leaders. You tell tell a story about how um, the senior team had gathered in a conference room and somebody was relating um, the fact that Netflix at that point had now accounted for about a third of the traffic on the Internet in the United States. Mm -hmm. And everybody was just sort of in shock about this, and somebody asked, how are we going to manage that? And this is the line that I bring your attention to. He answered with the honesty we'd all hoped for. Quoting him, he say, I don't know. And I love that. I love yeah. that. Because the radically honest thing that leaders in my mind don't say enough of and therefore undermine trust is that simple phrase, I don't know.
2: Yeah, here's another one. I want to respond to that and another one. I hear leaders, particularly first-time leaders, talk with incredible pride about how they admit their mistakes. Right, so it's mm-hmm. kind of the opposite of what you're saying. I'll come back to mm-hmm. it. And they say, you know, I stood up in front of my team and I told them I fucked up. And I'm like, well, um, <laughs> and one CEO told me, I like mistakes so much I give people who make mistakes a bottle of champagne every time they make one. I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. fucking
0: stupid. <laughs>
2: you know, you're a group here. <laughs> you know, the, so everybody's gonna be drunk and screwing up. It's perfect solution. But 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 the thing about the the honesty of saying I made a mistake is that the sentence that should follow it is I made a mistake because this is the information I had when I made that decision and I was wrong. And here's the situation now, and here's what I know now that I didn't know then. Mm -hmm. And so looping back to telling the truth at the beginning, right, saying I don't know, is that you can change the I don't know. And I remember that moment in the book because I remember we all looked at each other and, and it was like, Whoa! Another really hard problem to solve. How cool is that, right? Because you can change that. I don't know from a desperate. Oh my God! I don't know, and nobody knows. But well, we get to figure this out <laughs> because yeah. it's yeah. on our yeah. doorstep. And, and that and that admitting that you don't know can be an invitation to explore solutions with other people the other beautiful thing about admitting that you don't know is it at the same time it admits that you can't solve it alone
0: yes yes well see I, I, I love that and and you know my own experience of that is i often say to to a client like a client will say well if i say something like that then everybody's going to get afraid right and i'll say well, there's, hold on here. There's two ways that you can convey, I don't know. You can go, I don't fucking know what you're going to do. <laughs> right? And that's actually not being radically honest. That, what that is, is passing the baton of your anxiety to somebody else okay. and saying you figure it out. Yeah. Whereas if you say, I don't know, but I feel really good about the team we have, we'll figure it out because you know what? You guys are fucking awesome. Yeah, and let's get to work on this hard problem.
2: Yeah, and I mean, a great follow-up might be: not only don't I know, we don't know. Yeah, nobody knows, right? No. So, so somebody's got to figure it out. It might as well be us, yeah. right? And those invitations to go to that scary place instead of admitting your fear—the example you were, right—is that. I think it comes from those of us who've spent a lot of our time innovating, right? If you, when you go to that place that no one else has gone before, it's really scary. And I, I think that's a real tension in the workplace of the future because. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real tension in the workplace we have now. It's just that if I talk about the future, then people don't get so weirded out about it because the tension we've always fucking had, but like, you know, the um, people tell me, you know, if I I follow your way of thinking, all my employees are going to be afraid and they're going to feel like work isn't a safe place. And when I, dig deeper into what they mean by work isn't a safe place. They mean the promise that I'll always be here might be violated. Yes. And and that promise is a lie. The premise of the promise is a lie, right? And so for me, it sometimes goes to those really fundamental assumptions that we walk into organizations with that we kind of need to clarify. Right, that you're not going to be here forever, and we're in it for an adventure. And, and during this adventure, if we can solve problems nobody else has solved before, that's going to be a great thing to have done. So, so I was just talking to somebody, Jerry, yesterday, and I was talking to them about the epiphany that I had when I realized that I wanted to build a company that was a great place to be from. Mm, I love that and place. It, and it changed everything. I mean, it changed this holistic system of how I thought about work, right? I wanted every person we hired to know exactly what their part of the solving, the particular problem they came to solve would be. And that when they did it, it was something they would be proud of being part of that they could take with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I, it's just, I didn't articulate it when I was working. I've only thought about it since I've been gone right? Mm-hmm. Because I realize how much that's what I'm doing now, right? Is I'm going back saying I was at this really great place and here's some stuff that I learned and I want to pass that wisdom on to you. So uh, it, it's not re- exactly on the question, but you know, it's part of the, how my philosophy has become deeply rooted in that. And when, when you go into a work situation like that, which is we're going to create a place that you're going to be proud of being from, then that fundamental honesty changes the whole conversation.
0: I, lo- I, I actually love it uh, because you, you get at um, the false premise that's implicit in the wish that you named before, which is make me feel unafraid that I might actually have to change my job, pivot, learn a new skill, be without the safety net that seemed to be there. You know, um, uh, what comes to mind is uh, being a boy and watching my father lose his job when I was 10. A job that he began working at when he was in high school, took a break to go off to World War II, came back, continued to work at the same company. And, there is there is a kind of implicit wish fantasy that we have about our relationship to work, which is that we're always going to be taken care of in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's paternalistic and it's infantilizing. Yes. Right? And what I actually hear implicit in everything that you're calling for in saying building a company where a great company to have been from is calling forth adulthood on the part of the people that you're with. You're laughing because you know what I mean.
2: Yeah. And I just keep thinking about all the things that could be better if we just did that. You know, I was thinking about the words that we were just using around safety, uh, uh, about a safe place, work being a safe place. Wouldn't it be great if that meant and nobody's going to harass me and people are giving me feedback to my face and I'm going to be respected by the people that are around me. And I'm not going to have, um, you know, I'm not going to be judged by my title or my position. Right. What if that was what safety? Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, what, 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 what I just wrote down, what if it meant a safe place to grow up? What if it meant like a safe place to challenge myself? What if it meant a safe place to learn new skills? What if it meant a safe place to encounter diverse people and different ways of thinking in such a way where I'm not expected to judge, nor am I expected to be judged?
2: Yes, because if you're there for security, and we're we're messing with a little bit here, but if you think safety means job security, then it not only is, um, demeaning, but it puts you in, um, a constant combat zone. You have to protect yourself, right? You have to, you have to, you have to constantly make sure that nothing bad happens so that it cracks the solution that <laughs> you have of safety. It's just weird. Right. And, all, and the, the thing that makes me crazy about all of that stuff is that it's just a lot more fun to be doing great work. that with other people, we get stuff done. It's just more fun than all that, worrying about all that stuff. I'm a recruiter. That's my deep background. Mm-hmm. And I know from hiring people over the 30 years that I've been doing it, that what makes you an A player, what makes you really valuable, what makes you have an absolutely, you know, up into the right career trajectory is to have done great things with other amazing people. That's it. It's really it. it. <laughs> like, you know, you have a track record of being on teams of people that got incredible shit done. You're golden. It's that simple.
0: Yeah, and, and to loop it back to the conversation we're having, it does not mean being in a, quote, secure position forever. It means being in a risky, innovative place of growth where you're safe to grow, where yeah. where you're in this amazing team Challenging yourself, learning, failing, if that's what happens, telling the truth about what happens, but also recognizing the ways in which, I would argue, the way in which your own perhaps unprocessed bullshit shows up and stopped you uh, from, from succeeding or from stepping on your own air hose before you go scuba diving.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where the radical honesty comes in, right? Yeah. The, the thing about our own air hose, <laughs> whatever <laughs> we're going to call it, is that it's usually behind us and we don't see it. Right. Right. I mean, it's not because people aren't um, self-reflective or they don't want to be better or they don't want to be, you know, uh, terrific leaders or better humans. It's because usually the flaws that we have we don't see. Right. It, it's always funny when people will tell me, um, uh, "I wish he'd be less insecure." It's like, you know, or I, "I wish this person would be more self-aware." It's like, okay, well, they're not. Right. So, like, if you're so, let's just let's just unpack that phrase. They are not self-aware, so they're not going to wake up one morning and be self-aware. So right. you have to. Right. Hold on. The mirror and go. This is you, right, right. This is well, recognize this person. That's you, and that's where the radical honesty comes in. Is because when I say this is you, here's what your hose looks like. I walk behind you, and there's this big hose full of bullshit. So let me show it to you. So now that you know it's there, now you can be aware because. Be, I mean that's the other part about great honesty and feedback is good feedback is that it gives people
0: knowledge that they didn't have. That's right. We can't see what we can't see. <laughs> that's right. right? I mean it's really good, that simple. And and we are all we all have our blind spots, right? And if the culture is powerful and safe enough mm-hmm. where it's okay to look at my blind spot. Right. Because sometimes there's this collective wish to pretend that we all are infallible. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's insane.
2: <laughs> well, come on. The superhero myth is a wonderful one. You know, I keep giving reporters that call me. And the, the latest premise is, doesn't the star culture of technology create and reward sexist behavior. I'm like, boy, we are just mixing all kinds of metaphors up here. But I think we all want to feel like stars and we all want to be superheroes. And the thing about um, our journey that comes together as teams and departs as teams and comes together as new teams is all about that constant learning and journey on how to work with other people. And the other thing is, it's hard. Right, This kind of work isn't easy, but if you, you know, when I talk to the, the happy face HR people that I meet these days, the ones that are really worried about craft beer and um, chefs and t-shirts.
0: And track employee engagement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish they could
2: <laughs> I say to them, okay, here's your assignment find five people in the organization that you know are extraordinarily successful and have done an amazing job here that everyone looks up to, not by title, but by reputation, and ask each one of them to describe a situation here in the company where they did something that they're really proud of that was really meaningful. And I'm telling you that 100% of the time, they're going to describe something hard. They're not going to say... Oh, that day like we were eating sushi and knocking back the sake.
0: <laughs> and the company provided dry cleaning showed up. And so therefore exactly.
2: No, I mean because it is it's it's those, you know, it's a little bit of no pain, no gain, a little bit, right? And it's almost always when I go back and I kind of do this now that I'm out of the company, right? Now that I'm out in the big world talking to people, when I say, Tell me about, you know were you ever on a great team? Tell me about something that you accomplished. Tell me about what reputationally your company is really proud of. There's always a, there's always a struggle in there and there's always a sense of like, wow, we didn't know until we did this, what we know now. Right. And so, you know, your story about your dad, I mean, you know, you and I have been on a planet a long time, Jerry, and then we're talking about your dad. So the lie that your dad believed was in the 50s. Right. You know, I, I, I talked to this reporter in the UK and he says, you know, this phenomenon you're talking about, the lack of job security in companies, I, I think it's a relatively new phenomenon. When did you start to see it? And I said, I, I don't know, all my working life, I'm old, maybe it started in the 70s. You know? I, I think it's much more recent. I think it's more of a mid-80s phenomenon. Like, dude, it's 2017. Right. Right, right. Let's say (laughs) every four decades or so we mix it up. I
0: mean, right. Right. Well, how how about my father's generation? My father was born into the depression, right? Mm -hmm. How much job security was there then? How about, how about before? I mean, the, the, the fact is, the myth has been there all along.
2: The myth has been there all along, but we keep doing it to this very day. So I did a talk to 800 HR people a couple of months ago, and I said, raise your hand if you're in the job that you had the the year you graduated from college, and if you're an intern, abstain. Eight hundred people, not one hand goes up. And I said, are you kidding? Every Mm. one of you worked for a company that couldn't retain you? (laughs) There must be millions of shitty HR people out there in the world. If 800 of you couldn't Mm -hmm. be retained, like, so stupid. (laughs) What a a thing to measure. What a thing to care about, right? It's... So it's kind of back to, and I know we're going to get to this, but it's why I named the book Powerful, why I talk about power.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to re- reflect back to something. You, you say people have power, don't take it away. What do you mean yeah. by that?
2: Well, it's that same conversation. You know, the words that we use at work now just kind of nauseate me. And, and my favorite, least favorite word is empowerment. Mm-hmm. And it... And it's now the job of management. It's the job of uh, trainers. It's the job to to empower people. And I think, oh, bullshit. You know why we have to empower them? Because we took it all away. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're a very powerful person, but you're going to have to ask that girl over in finance who's a summer intern. To approve your expense report because it's over five thousand dollars, and she knows that five thousand and four is more than five thousand. Of course, you're a PhD in engineering; you also know that <laughs> those two numerals It's so insane. Right, right. Uh, and and I and that's what I want to do. That's how I want to change the world. Uh, we all have power right we have, we own our careers we own our lives we make decisions and the sooner we can start talking about those decisions we're going to be making for the rest of our lives early on in our lives then i think it can help change the dialogue i mean you know i'm i'm frustrated <laughs> what's happening for women at work and I'm completely elated about what's happening
0: for women at work right now. All right, because, let's go there. You, you know, yeah, I feel the power. Me, tell me, tell, so tell me what's going on. Tell me from your perspective. What, what do you see I, going on?
2: Well, i uh, personalize it because I've been a, I am a second wave feminist as my daughter mm. reminds me, <laughs> which means I've been one my whole life and like, mm. we've had it. We've had it. Okay, we've been nice. We've been polite. We've done, you know, inclusion classes. Uh, it's like, okay, get out the checkbooks and make pay right. That'll help. Mm-hmm. I'd rather see mm-hmm. that than any inclusion class. You know, all these, and I, I don't get me wrong, I think it's important. I think unconscious bias is real. Um, I think that people do things unknowingly at work that are hurtful and painful and sexist and harassing, but start with pay. Mm-hmm. Make it equal. Mm-hmm. Right? The power goes directly to status, and status goes directly to title, which goes directly to pay. reporter that called me the other day, she said about the star thing, she's like, yeah, you know, like the star individual contributors in Silicon Valley. And I'm like, who are all men? Right. Right. Ask everyone you know to name a star individual contributor in any company. I'm not talking Silicon Valley. I talked, I just got back from Australia talking to a bank. Mm-hmm. Their stars are salesmen. Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. men. I, so, and and you know, you get the rewards that go along with stardom, and you get the respect that goes along with stardom. And so for me, there's just some deep fundamentals that need to be addressed there. And then, and then I think women have at least for this tiny moment in time, gotten so frustrated that they're going to tell the truth with regardless of the consequences, because they just can't take it
0: anymore. So thank God they can't take it anymore. There's a kind of like, it's, it's about, this is a moment that we have all needed. I'm going to link back to this discussion of power, and I want to introduce a word that uh, condomason who was a guest in the podcast, um, maybe two years ago, gave me. Um, Kanda is uh, um, a Buddhist teacher, but an entrepreneur as well, uh, based out of Oakland. She's been a leader in the um, impact hub movement, the social impact hub movement. And we had a long discussion, not just about diversity, not just about inclusion, but she said, Jerry, do not lose sight of equity. And by equity, what she means is power, right? And, 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 and there's power, structural power over, and then there's power. And the conversation uh, in which there is shared equity, and that means ownership, that means compensation, that means uh, uh, um, uh, openness to opportunity, that means um, all of the things that come along with a shared sense of equity. We are in this together. What I don't know that we will shift culture until there's truly an equitable sharing of power.
2: Yeah, I think she's right. No, it makes a ton of sense, but it loops back to radical honesty in some ways. Um, We all have to learn how to have these real conversations. So someone else asked me the other day, I get interviewed a lot, and this reporter said, oh, my God, companies must be just shaking in their boots that their employees are going to go renegade and take to the Internet with their complaints. What should companies do to stop employees from doing this? You mean expressing themselves on social networks? That's renegade? Like, oh, my God, we better make a policy that says you can't do that. Like, this this is not a policy issue. People are going renegade, right? They're going outside of their companies to tell their stories because they don't think anybody inside is listening. Because there's more power in the collective community than there is in in the place that they work. So what I mean is that one of the ways for us to have equity is for us all to realize that it's not just about speaking the truth. It's about hearing it, right? It's about the other side listening to it as if it were true.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to take my seat, you know, uh, as someone on the other side of this, someone who's had power, quite honestly, as a consequence of the genetic lottery. Yeah. Not not because I, I necessarily. Yeah. Did I do things to earn certain things? Absolutely. Did was I given opportunities to earn those things because of certain conditions like my white skin and my and my uh, uh, cisgendered identity? Sure. Okay. I think one of the to be radically honest, I think one of the mis- mistakes that those of us who have power hold is the belief that power is a zero sum game yeah that if i actually create conditions where i acknowledge that you know a fucking shit ton more than me that somehow i am diminished mm-hmm. and that's insane <laughs> when i say it out loud it doesn't make any sense Right. And so, so the, so the carefully constructed persona that I know more, which is bullshit prevents me from creating conditions where I can shut the fuck up and listen to someone who actually knows more because I might lose my power.
2: Yeah. And I think a way to bring us back to the better conversation, I said this earlier in our talk today, um, if we can focus on why we're having the conversation, right? If we can start almost any conversation, particularly inside of a company with, you know, why does this matter uh, to the customer, to the, um, the client that we serve, to the world at large, to our daughters, to whatever it is, then we're more willing to speak and hear. Right, and if I feel like you and I are going to get into a debate about you know men have more power than women, and that's the premise of it, you know we got to prove it one way or the other. We're never going to get anywhere, right? If we're going to have a conversation that says, "You're right, Jerry, that's true," and here's another thing: Um, not only did you have to work hard, believe that you had to work hard on those opportunities that you got given, just because you're you, you didn't have to work as hard. Amen. You know, I know that to be true. I know know
0: that that to be true, too.
2: Yeah. So, and when you do that, when you can have that conversation, that creates that awareness to look around you and say, how hard does she have to try to prove something?
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm going to make a meta statement about our relationship in this moment that feels really true for me we met a few months ago down in New Orleans. We were doing a uh, talk for Gimlet Media at uh, South by Southwest. And um, the thing that occurred to me early on, which just got reinforced when you said what you just said to me, how I didn't have to work as hard. Uh The thing that occurred to me was that I trusted you. Uh Almost from the get-go. And so when you said that to me just now, You looked at me, and I'm imagining this is true. But you weren't sure how it was going to land with me. Mm -hmm. And when I said that, and when I said "Amen," part of what I wanted to convey to my friend Patty was, "I trust you." Thank you.
2: And and Mm -hmm. that's and that's how real dialogue happens, right? That's how we really change things. And I think you said it eloquently too, Jerry. It's like you know all those unfair advantages you have, but it's human nature to want to protect yourself. Yes, right. It's human nature to want to say, and uh, I realize that's true. And so, by just admitting that it's true, is that enough? Because I said that, mm-hmm. you know. But the willingness to give it up, ooh, boy. Mm-hmm so what i mean by powerful is that i want all of us to recognize that no matter how you feel it's there inside of you and it's back to that theme of if you if you live your work life by doing amazing things with other amazing people then that gives you the ability to choose where you're going to work that's going to be able to be a place where you can contribute and continue to do amazing things with other amazing people and that's 50% of that choice is yours. It's not up to the company. And I think that at work in particular, kind of going back to that paternalistic, they'll take care of me thing, um, that puts us all in a victim place. But I think it puts women in particular in a more victim place. Right? Right. I don't believe that they really have the choice to pick up and go somewhere else, right? I'll just wait, you know, I'll just wait and hope they notice that I'm unpaid, that I'm not paid fairly. Like, they know it. Mm
0: -hmm. It's just the way it is. You know, my wish is that the folks who listen to this podcast come to know you, Um, because yeah, yeah. So, Patty McCord is the author of the culture document. Blah 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 blah. blah. She's so well known. She's a superstar. She's a rock star. But she's a, she is a real, authentic, um, fire breathing, um, loving human being.
2: You know, it's uh, people say to me sometimes when I do talks afterwards, they'll say to me, particularly men CEOs. Mm -hmm. why i don't know they'll say to me are you like this for real
0: like (laughs) this
2: is Mm -hmm. like is this how you live your life do you really say shit like this out loud Mm -hmm. have you really said stuff like this at work and Mm -hmm. you know how do other people take you and you know didn't the engineers at netflix didn't they fear you didn't they hate you weren't they afraid of you and i said Oh, God, no. You know, maybe sometimes when I would get all, all on them, but they knew that I loved them, right? They knew that I cared. They knew I did it for the good of the company, for their own, you know, to make a better place to be, right? And it was out of respect. And, you know, that if you stick with respect and dignity for your fellow worker, you're golden. And it's just... Those things don't come natural all the time. They don't come natural under stress. They don't come natural for leaders when you're insecure. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, uh, and I, I, this is the part where you and I have the Vulcan mind melt, Jerry, because we've seen so many leaders. And we know that people misbehave and they do the wrong thing for what they believe to be the right reason, which is protecting themselves <laughs> from something they're scared of. That's it. That's I, it's it. just and um, and I there's that channeling. When I was 23, I was the youngest person in my organization. I was the only woman in a group of 150 people, and I wore pink one day, and they sent me home because those days <laughs> we we wore pinstripe suits and. I, I happened to, they sent me to uh, a speech giving class and I was the only woman, of course, in 50 men. So I happened to get my own coach. And um, she said, first of all, stand with your feet apart, your hands at your side, and you project how strong you are, no matter how you feel. And the other thing was, she said, you know, that tinkling on the back of your neck and the sweaty armpits and the, the, the high voice, the fear, She's like, that's. That's your strength. That's your adrenaline. Mm. Right. Channel your fear and make it power. And I, you know, she told me that when I was twenty three, I haven't forgotten it ever. It's like mm. I gotta turn that scary <laughs> that scary feeling into like I can do this, right? And I think that's where that's what I wanna help people understand. You can do this, even if it's a little thing. Oh, Keep doing a lot of those little things and do a big thing.
0: You know, well, Patty, I, I can't thank you enough. As I said before, I learn from you every single time we have a conversation. And we laugh, and you challenge me in ways that I want to grow. And your book um, is one of those books that sort of sticks with me and um, stays with me. And, you know, I'm a huge reader, voracious, and I just highly recommend this book. Um, and I'm super excited to get you on the show and to be able to talk. And you have to promise you're going you to come back and
1: I'm recording this, so. I promise. I Um, promise. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening.
2: How long till my soul gets it right?
1: Reboot Portfolio Circles are an effective and unique way for VC firms to provide ongoing support and professional development for the CEOs and the leaders inside their portfolio companies. With our Portfolio Circles, the Reboot team partners with you to identify the CEOs or the leaders you'd like to support, and we take care of the rest. Each group is led by a skilled Reboot coach and includes six to eight leaders from companies inside your portfolio in similar roles and stages in their journeys. We bring them all together to support each other in their personal and professional and leader development. Now hear from Evan, who is a participant in one of our portfolio circles.
3: My name is Evan Liang. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Lean Data. Most of the other CEO groups I've been in are very business-focused, issues-focused. We're trying to solve problems together. And the reboot circle is very different in the sense that we talk about the issues, but more around kind of supporting each other. And it's not around problem-solving but more around the CEO's support from an emotional perspective. I think all of us need some sort of support group. You need friends and family. You can't do it all on yourself. There is a lot of stresses that come with the job and having an avenue to uh, feel like you're not alone and get that emotional need that you might not be able to get from your team because you don't want to seem vulnerable as a CEO. So those would be the reasons I would say to check it out and to go in with an open mind and, and see for yourself that it's something that helps you. Overall, it's been a great experience.
1: To learn more about Reboot Portfolio Circles, email us at portfoliocircles at reboot.io.